What does Christmas and the birth of Jesus have to do with Bible prophecy? Revelation 19.10 says that for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We will discuss Jesus from a prophetic perspective on today's edition of End of the Age. You're listening to an End of the Age Encore presentation. You know, everyone, I, I know we're going into the, the um, Christmas and the Christmas Eve, Christmas, and New Year's and things. But when we're talking about Christmas, a lot of people don't even think about prophecy. But the birth of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection, his first coming, his second coming, pretty much all of that was prophetic. And I wanted to get into that today because... A lot of times we can think of Christmas as Christmas trees, lights, um, bells, and all these different Santa Claus and everything, the commercialized portion of it. But we don't think, many don't even think about Jesus during that time. And so I wanted to get off into some of this, the birth, the life, the prophetic aspect of Jesus. Very, very important. So I'm going to start with the first coming, of course. Acts chapter 3, verse 22 through 23 says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, brethren, like unto, unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall do, say unto you, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So Moses, Israel's most revered leader, prophesied that a prophet like himself would someday come to the Jewish people. From that time forward, the Jewish people looked with expectancy for the appearance of, quote unquote, that prophet. This prophecy was given all the way back by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18 and 19. But they also prophesied that there would be a forerunner that would come prior to Jesus. Somebody kind of setting the stage here. So if you remember, there was a, a devout couple by the name of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And they lived just before the beginning of the first century. Zacharias was a priest whose duty was to burn incense in the holy place. Well, one day, while burning incense unto the Lord, an angel named Gabriel suddenly appeared unto him. And the angel announced that Zacharias and Elizabeth would soon have a child and they were to name him John. The spirit of Elijah would be upon this child and he would prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. Zacharias and Elizabeth had never been able to have children themselves. And by the time of the angel's appearance unto them, they were too old. Well, because of their situation, Zacharias asked the angel how he would know that these things were true. And the angel said unto Zacharias, because you have doubted that you will not be able to speak until after the child is born. And immediately Zacharias was smitten with dumbness. 
Well, then comes the promise. There were many of these, but the promise of the Messiah. Six months later, the angel Gabriel appeared to a young virgin girl named Mary. And Gabriel said to Mary, he said, um, this is in Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 31 through 33. The Bible says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Well, of course, Mary asked the angel the obvious question. How can I have a child when I'm a virgin? And the angel exclaimed that the power of the Holy Ghost would overshadow her causing her to conceive supernaturally. This would fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah back in chapter, Isaiah seven fourteen. The Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, before all of this happened to her, Mary was engaged to a young man named Joseph. When Mary told Joseph what the angel had said to her, he thought, yeah, right. She's been unfaithful to him and has concocted this story to conceal her, this illegitimate pregnancy. So with this in his mind, Joseph planned to break his engagement to Mary. However, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and he said, and this is Matthew 1, 20, Joseph Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Well, then we have the birth of the forerunner of Jesus Christ. When the child promised to Zacharias and Elizabeth was born, their friends and relatives exclaimed that the child should be named Zacharias after his father. However, Elizabeth said, no, his name's going to be called John. Well, the relatives argued that no one in the family had ever been named John. They turned to Zacharias to settle the dispute. Zacharias, what do you say? And Zacharias was still unable to speak. He asked for a writing tablet and he wrote the name. He said, his name is going to be John. Well, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke for the first time in nine months. And all who knew about these events were filled with wonder and amazement. I mean, you can only imagine. Well, then the Messiah's, it was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. When the time drew near for Jesus to be born, Joseph and Mary were presented with another huge challenge. At that time, Rome ruled that the world during uh, that, in that era right there, the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus, made a decree that all people under Rome's control must return to the city of their birth to be taxed and to be included in his worldwide census. Joseph's place of birth was Bethlehem. However, he and Mary lived in the city of Nazareth, Nazareth, 100 miles north of Bethlehem, which is up by the Sea of Galilee. In those days when travel was either you know, imagine it was either by foot or by donkey. A hundred miles was a journey of several days. Plus Mary was 
almost around nine months pregnant now, right? So imagine taking your nine month pregnant wife on a hundred mile journey, either walking or on the back of a donkey or in a cart or something. So they really didn't have any choice. So Mary and Joseph set out on this long, arduous trip to Bethlehem. Little did they know that the decree of Caesar and their trip to Bethlehem was the fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy. What are we talking about today? Christmas, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection, and his second coming. It's all prophetic. Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. We've seen Bible prophecy fulfilled like never before. From the halls of the United Nations to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, End Time Ministries continues to reveal the Bible prophecy in the news headlines around the world every day. Whether it's through our broadcast or online at our Jerusalem Prophecy College, your gifts enable us to put vital materials in the hands of those who need it most. Because of you, we continue to replace fear with faith in the hearts of Christians around the world we will continue to see prophecy come to pass at an even swifter pace. We need your support. Your donation of any amount enables us to continue to broadcast and be a voice in the ever-growing censored media. To become a partner or give a one-time gift, visit endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME right now. That's 800-363-8463. Go online now. Visit endtime.com. You're listening to an End of the Age Encore presentation. You know, everyone, I know we're coming up to the end of the year here. I'm talking about the Christmas story and uh, getting off into a lot of prophecies about that, the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. But we're coming up to the end of the year, and I know that a lot of you are considering, hey, who do I give an end of the year gift to? Many of you will give that to a charity or something like that or a ministry that you support. Uh, for tax reasons and different things. So if you're considering end-of-the-year giving, remember end time. We have a global reach. We're reaching people around the world with the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is what we're supposed to do. It's our mission, sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God because the end time is now. And if you want to get on board and help us do that, Remember us in your end of the year giving. Just thought I'd mention that because a lot of you are planning that. Sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. And you think you get to January 5th and you think, oh, I was supposed to give a donation. Remember end time ministries when you're thinking about that this year. Now, 
the prophecy, the Old Testament prophecy that he would be, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It's Micah 5, 2. The Bible says, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, that thou um, be little amongst thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is the ruler in Israel, whose going forths have been from old, from everlasting. Well, of course, Joseph and Mary, upon arriving in Bethlehem, they're desperately looking for a room to rent. But all were taken because of Caesar's decree was forcing everyone to travel at that point. Finally, the only possibility was a stable. And it was there that Jesus, the Messiah, was born. That evening, shepherds were tending to their flocks when suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The angel said to them, this is Luke 2, 9 through 12. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You're not going to find him in a real plush hotel. He's going to be laying in a manger out in a stable. This is going to be your sign. So the shepherds quickly arose and they made their way into Bethlehem. And I, I've been to Bethlehem and I've seen the shepherd's fields. It's awesome. It's very close. You can, from the city of Bethlehem, you can see the shepherd's fields. So there they found Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, just as the angel had said. Well, after worshiping him, the shepherds returned to their flocks, glorifying God for all the things that they had been shown. I mean, imagine angels coming to you and say, hey, go in there and worship a baby. And they did that. I would too, wouldn't you? So they also told everyone that they, and they, that they met, you're not going to believe what just happened. So soon the news that the Messiah had been born was noised abroad. Not only did God appear to the shepherds, he also appeared to the wise men from the east. Being supernaturally led by a star, they traveled to Bethlehem so they could worship the newborn king of the Jews. Well, then there was the priest Simeon, who was told by God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Well, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple for the rite of circumcision, Simeon was there. He instinctively knew this baby was the Messiah. God was moving on Simeon. And the, that this baby was the Messiah and the fulfillment of God's promise. So Simeon took the baby Jesus into his arms and he said, this is Luke chapter 2 verse 29 through 30. He said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He was, look, he was holding Jesus and he was saying, this is the Messiah that you told me about. Now, there were many more signs. There was all, these prophecies were just happened one right after another. When Jesus was 12 years old, his parents found him in the temple in Jerusalem disputing with the doctors and lawyers. Jesus was answering their questions and asking them questions. They couldn't answer his questions. All who heard him, they, they were just astonished at his understanding and his, his answers and the questions that he was asking. Well, Jesus, then we come to Jesus' first miracle was when he turned water into the wine at the wedding feast. 
After that, he opened his blind, he opened uh, blinded eyes. He healed the deaf ears. He cleansed lepers and he made the lame to walk. And his, his fame was growing in the land of Israel. You can only imagine. I mean, imagine if you heard of a revival happening where this was going on in Dallas, Texas. There would be people coming from all over the world here to Dallas, Texas to get healed or, you know, something like that. Have a miracle happen to them, right? Well, imagine the fame of Jesus when he was healing people and this, that, and the other. Healing lepers and causing the blinded eye to open. So it was when he fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes that in John six fourteen it says that this is of a truth that prophet. Remember, Moses had prophesied about that prophet. Well, that John six fourteen says this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. So there were so many prophecies that Jesus was fulfilling, letting us know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was in fact that prophet was in fact the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God manifest in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. He was, in fact, the one born of a virgin. I mean, it was just prophecies, prophecies, prophecies. And then Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be that prophesied Messiah. Now, there are people on the earth today that believe and teach that Jesus never even claimed to be the Messiah. But that's simply not true. It's in the Word of God. Jesus absolutely did claim to be the Messiah. You remember the story when Jesus stopped by a well in Samaria and he asked a Samaritan woman to give him a drink. And she said, well, 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 hold, hold on a minute. What, what are you talking about? You're a Jew. What are you doing asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan. You and I both know Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But Jesus said, ma'am, if you know who I really was, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. I would have given you water that you would never thirst again. And it is well, it is a well of water inside you springing up into everlasting life. And he was actually talking to her about the Holy Ghost, which wasn't even available yet. That wasn't available until Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And the Holy Ghost was poured out in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. But he was telling her something that would happen in a future experience. And she said, well, hey, you're talking about living water. I'll never thirst again. Let's have it. Bring it on. Well, Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. And he knew that she needed to change her lifestyle first. So he's going to get into her. He's going to get into her living room. Love. He's going to get in her business. So he said, well, OK, go call your husband. He knew she didn't have a husband. But he needed to teach her something and he needed to talk to her about her lifestyle. So she said back to him, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yep, you've told the truth. You've had five husbands and the one you're shacking up with now is that guy's not your own. He's not your husband. She said, uh, you must be a prophet. Now imagine this conversation. This, this is what happened between Jesus and this woman. And... She said, you must be a prophet. If that's the case, I've got a question. So in John 14, in John, uh, let's see, what was it? John 4, 20, 
the Bible says, she asked him, our fathers. Now, this was the question of the day at that point. You understand? She said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you Jews say that in, in Jerusalem is the place where once you go to worship. And so, again, this is the question of the day because Israel and Judea were divided at that point. And Israel said, no, you need to worship up there in the mountain of Samaria. But they didn't want the Israelites going to Jerusalem on the feast days and getting reunited with their brethren and the northern kingdom would lose its power. So they were saying, no, you worship up here. I mean, they they had it fixed that you if you were in Israel, you worshiped up in Samaria. They actually built a temple up there. And you can actually go today and see the ruins of that, the uh, foundations of that temple. And then if you were in Judea, you worshiped down in Jerusalem. That's the way they had it set up. It was divided. Well, Jesus was in some, a Jew up in Samaria getting a drink of water. That's when all this thing happened, this conversation. So the big question was, and she wanted to know, hey, where should we worship? You're a prophet. Give me the answer to this. Well, Jesus said unto her, and he said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you're either going to worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem, but you'll worship the Father. You don't, you, he said, this is actually what he said to her. He said, you don't even know what, you're, what you worship. He said, salvation's of the Jews. Now imagine that. And think, would you get offended if a man said, you don't even know what you're worshiping. What the, uh, we are the only ones that have the plan of salvation. And, but she stayed there. He says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. He said, God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the woman said back to him, and this is the new King James version. She says, this is very important. She says, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I who speak unto you am he. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. You can read this for yourself. It's in the New Testament. And, but there are people that actually claim, no, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. That's not true. Jesus absolutely claimed to be the Messiah. There were about a hundred messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in great detail. But when he came on the earth, he actually said, I'm he. So the messianic prophecies of Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Daniel, they were all fulfilled with Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. So why are we celebrating here in just a couple days the birth of Jesus Christ? Actually, we should celebrate that every day. I mean, I celebrate the birth, the death, burial, resurrection. I celebrate the life. I celebrate Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, my master, my creator, Jesus Christ. I celebrate him every day. But I know we've chosen a couple days from now when we'll celebrate Christmas. But I wanted to make sure today that we looked at a kind of a different perspective of Jesus. 
not just the birth, which was miraculous, and he was the Messiah, and we should celebrate that. But the prophetic perspective of that, because it helps to build our faith in the Word of God. You understand? The Bible is the only book on the planet where you can use current events to prove prophecies that were written in a book over two thousand, at least 2,000, some of them 2,500 years ago and beyond. And you can show how those things are happening right now using current events. So prophecy is an awesome way, one of the ways that you can add, um, build credibility to the Word of God. Not that we should have to, but there are people everywhere that don't, they don't know what they believe. And if they're going to have an opportunity to be saved, they've got to put their faith, hope, and trust in that word of God. Because that's the only words to, to eternal life that there are. There's no other book. There's no self-help books. There's no uh, physical maps. There's nothing like that that has the words to eternal life. The Bible is God's holy word. That's got the words to eternal life. So prophecy is one of the best ways. Jesus, the Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus knew that prophecy would be the best way, one of the best ways you could use to build people's faith in the word of God. He said, I tell you these things before they come to pass, that when they come to pass, you'll believe. It's a belief system. So we use prophecy to build people's faith in the word of God. Why? Because I'm trying to get people to heaven. And if you don't believe in the word of God, then it's going to be impossible for me to get you there. So we use prophecy every single day and do prophecy conferences and teach Bible studies and stuff all over the world to build people's faith in the word of God that gives them an opportunity to be saved. What are we doing? We're teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to every creature on earth because the end time is now. Now you understand what we're doing here at End Time Ministries every day. So... After this wonderful life, the greatest teacher that ever lived, the greatest prophet, the greatest um, preacher, the greatest soul winner, the greatest speaker, the greatest writer. He wrote, you say, well, Jesus didn't write. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. The Bible is God's word. He had secretaries, so he dictated and the secretaries wrote it. So it's God's word. So it's pretty awesome, isn't it? Well, after this life, it comes time for the crucifixion. You say, well, why are we talking about the crucifixion when we're two days ahead of Christmas? Because it's very important. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. We're looking at the life of Jesus from a prophetic perspective. And it's something different you can talk about over this next weekend. Not just the birth of Jesus, but talk to your family about the prophetic aspect. Why? Because we're building people's faith in the most wonderful book that there is, the Bible. Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war, or floundering economies, end-time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? With the End Time Magazine subscription, you can gain a deeper understanding of current events and its prophesied repercussions. End Time Magazine's exclusive content and prophetic insight allows you to understand where we are in the end time. 
It will give you peace when horrific news and events happen. When you subscribe today to End Time Magazine for 12 months for just $19.99, you can have hope for the future because you will understand what the Bible says about the time we are living in. You'll get access to exclusive articles like the Prophesied American-Israeli Alliance, End Time Do's and Don'ts, and Could School Choice Save America? Subscribe for you or a friend right now. Go to endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-END-TIME. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. You're listening to an End of the Age Encore presentation. So think of it like this. When we said Jesus was gaining in, he, he was getting famous, really. Back then it was five loaves and two fishes. Today, here in Texas, it would be a lunch of smoked brisket, smoked chicken, ribs, some big old porterhouse or ribeye steaks. And somebody would bring this, just a bag of barbecue, and fed 5,000 people. It would go all around the world. Somebody just had a few, a couple briskets and fed 5,000 people. It would be miraculous. Well, Jesus was doing this kind of stuff. So it was getting, he was gaining in popularity. Well, the religious leaders of Israel, they became jealous of Jesus and of his immense popularity. They filed false charges against him, resulting in his crucifixion. You know the story. King David had prophesied about his crucifixion a thousand years in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 22, verse 16. The Bible says, For the dogs have compassed about me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet. What a horrible thing. We crucified God manifest in the flesh, the Messiah. They crucified him. Well, after being in the grave three days and three nights, Jesus raised from the dead. King David had also foretold the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm uh, 1610. The Bible says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to many people uh, for a period of 40 days. He was seen by over 500 people at one time. Undeniable proof that he had risen from the dead. Well, when the 40 days had expired, Jesus led his disciples to the Mount of Olives on the eastern side of Jerusalem, just across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount. And after giving them final instructions, his feet suddenly left the ground. And they watched as he ascended into the sky and finally disappearing into the clouds. So, another prophecy that I wanted to make sure you understood about was that Daniel prophesied the Messiah would come 
and be cut off prior to the destruction of the temple. Now, again, I only say this, well, this is an awesome prophecy, but I wanted to bring this up today because of people that are saying Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah or that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. There's a lot of people that teach that. And if you've, if you've um, functioned in the realm of prophecy or Bible study or something like that, you'll come across somebody that doesn't believe Jesus was the Messiah or that he claimed to be the Messiah. Well, Daniel prophesied that the Messiah would come and be cut off prior to this, the destruction of Jerusalem and the tearing down of the temple. That, that prophecy happened in great detail. So let's go over it real quick. Um, if, if you do an in-depth study of the entire vision of the book of Daniel verses 9, 24 through 27, it's clear that this is an actual, it's actually a prophetic time clock given to us straight from God. The, and the prophecy begins with the commandment to restore and rebuild the, um, the rebuild Jerusalem and it culminates. So you understand, um, Daniel was writing the book of Daniel in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So he said that the, the, this prophecy would begin with the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem, but it culminates at the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth and the battle of Armageddon. So it's going to span well over 2000 years. But it's verse 27 that contains one of the few prophecies in the Bible with a date on it. This is the prophecy most commonly recognized as Daniel's 70 weeks. And if you can understand this, you can prove to somebody conclusively using the book of Daniel that the Messiah would come prior to the tearing down of the building of the temple. It's an awesome prophecy. And it describes, well, yeah, so it describes in detail the final seven years before the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. Because of Daniel's 70-week prophecy, it's possible for us to know the event that will trigger the final seven years to the battle of Armageddon, and that event lies just ahead of us now. They're talking about a peace in the Middle East every day. If you don't, one thing you should do if you don't do this if you really want to stay up on things, you should follow Israeli news sources. If you're just going to your nightly news, news here in the United States, you're not going to get this. You'll, you won't hear anything about any of this stuff. But if you really want to get into the inner workings of what's really going on here, follow Israeli news sources. They will help you to really open up your mind to what's really going on in the world. And a lot of this stuff is very prophetic. What's going on now and over the next few years, just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this entire 70 weeks prophecy, it told us many things. It foretold when the Messiah would come to the earth the first time. It proved the identity of the Messiah. It foretold the crucifixion. It foretold the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And it prophesied the event that would trigger the final seven years to Armageddon. And it provided clues to the identity of the Antichrist. And it established the final seven-year timeline for the um, end-of-the-age events. Now, that's all that is included in Daniel 9, 24-27. So the world stage is really set for the final seven years to Armageddon to begin. The only question left is, 
Exactly when will it happen? Well, that's why we watched Israel and the Middle East peace agreement very pensively because we want to know, hey, when is this going to happen? When's all these characteristics going to take place? So, or uh, which peace agreement? So, the Middle East peace treaty, that's what starts the countdown, this final seven years. And the Bible prophesies that the, the Palestinians, the world community, the Antichrist, they're going to make a peace agreement with Israel. That agreement will place the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement between Jews and Muslims and allow for the building of Israel's third temple. And there have been two Jewish temples up till now. You say, well, hold on, Dave. I thought we were on uh, Christmas and the first coming. Now we're talking about this because there's a second coming coming. I'm talking about Jesus today from a prophetic perspective. Jesus is fixing to come back. You understand. But I want to prove to you several things from Daniel 9, 24 through 27 that pertain to Jesus. This prophecy is talking about a final seven-year period to his second coming. But I'm going to get back on the Messiah in just a moment. So this peace treaty will allow for the building of the third temple um, on the Temple Mount in the very near future. This treaty will also establish the final borders of Israel, recognizing Israel's right to exist in a, to have a homeland in the Middle East. And when this agreement is signed, it's going to mark the beginning of the final seven years to the Battle of Armageddon. Is there a peace agreement signed that doesn't... Uh, so if there is a peace agreement signed that doesn't do these things, it's not the one. And we can see that now. There are peace agreements being signed in the Middle East, but they're not the one that we're looking for. That starts the final seven years. Furthermore, the Antichrist will participate in this very important agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians, even though he's not going to be revealed at that time. We're not going to know who he is. He's revealed at the abomination of desolation, right? So the 490-year prophecy we're talking about here, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, this 490-year prophecy is given in three segments. And this is very important when we're looking at the prophecy of the Messiah. So we're going to begin with verse 24, because if this is one of the most complex prophecies in Scripture. But if you can get this, everybody, it's going to be very key because you can talk to uh, you when here's what's going to happen. The final seven years is, is getting ready to start with all the prophecies converging at one time. This is getting ready to happen. You need to be able to tell your friends, family and your sphere of influence you're going to go to them and you're going to say, hey, these guys on the radio, they're talking about the final seven years just began. And everybody's going to say, prove it. And you're going to sit there like a deer in the headlights. Oh, my God. No, you know, well, you need to go listen to them guys. Well, what you need to do is you need to be able to explain this yourself. So scripture says that 77s are decreed upon your people. Now, this is, this is a different translation than King James Version. But. This version says, 77s are decreed upon your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for the wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. So what is meant by the 77s? Well, God is telling us here that there will be 77-year periods of time in the prophecy. How do we know that each of the sevens is seven years? Daniel 9, 27, which is dealing with the final seven, 
it states that the event called the abomination of desolation will occur in the middle of the last seven. So if we can tell how long the last seven is, then all we have to do is multiply by two to know how long the full seven is, right? I mean, that's very easy. Well, Jesus told us and told his disciples in Matthew 24, 15 through 21, the abomination of desolation would start the great tribulation, right? So what there are uh, six different scriptures that say the great tribulation will last three and a half years. I know that the common teaching is that the great tribulation lasts seven years. There is a final seven year period, but the great tribulation only lasts the final three and a half years of that. How do we know? The six scriptures. Jesus said, remember that the great tribulation would begin after the abomination of desolation. What are the six scriptures? Daniel 7.25, Revelation 13.5, Daniel 12.7, Revelation 11.2, Revelation 11.3, and Revelation 12.14. Now, if you go read those scriptures, some of them will say time, times, and half a time, which is three and a half years. Some will say 1260 days three and a half years. Some will say 42 months, which is three and a half years. So if the last three and a half, um, if the last half of the last seven is three and a half years, then the first half of the, of the last seven is three and a half years, right? So it means the entire 70th seven is a seven year period. So obviously the other 69 sevens are all seven year periods. So it lets us know that we are looking at 77-year periods here or a 490-year prophecy. What begins the 490 years? Well, Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, If you remember, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., Daniel 9, 1 through 3 tells us that, the, that um, Daniel was given the 490-year prophecy during the first year of King Darius, around 538 B.C. This was after the Medes and the Persians had replaced Babylon at the, um, as the leading empire of the world during that time. Daniel 9, 25 in the NIV reveals that the 490 years begins with the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. Bible says, uh, no one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, until the Messiah, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens, 62 sevens, and it will be rebuilt with the streets of a trench, but in the time of trouble. So it's very important that we understand that there's three segments here. So we're going to be talking about it here in just a moment. And uh, I'll fill you in on, on some more of the details about this. It's an amazing prophecy. Most of us walk around day by day blind to the prophecies being fulfilled right before us. Every news report brings a new piece to the puzzle in the race towards the final seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, more than ever... It is important for God's people to understand the times in which we are living. On November the 12th, 2013, 
We opened our Jerusalem Prophecy College in downtown Jerusalem. These same courses are now available online for people who are unable to attend the classes in person. We welcome students to join us and discover the link between current events and the prophecies of the Bible. Take your place in the prophecy of Daniel 11.33. Enroll in the Jerusalem Prophecy College today. Go to JerusalemProphecyCollege.com. Move Mountains with Irvin Baxter. This book by Irvin's grandson provides 30 days of devotion that will enhance your relationship with God and others. Authentic illustrations from early morning devotions at end time will help you find your purpose and eliminate fears. Commit to taking this 30-day journey and experience real life change. Get your book for only $14.99. Call 1-800-363-8463 or go to endtime.com slash move. You're listening to an End of the Age Encore presentation. So this prophecy, Daniel 9, 24 uh, through 27, it begins with the going forth of the commandment to, to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. Well, most likely this decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem refers to the prophesied decree of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Remember, there was Darius and Cyrus, the Medes and the Persians. These guys were the rulers. That was back in Ezra 6.3. And that occurred around 538 B.C. If, if the dates are correct here. So the, the, you, know, you understand the history and the calendars that we have for that time period. They're, they're fairly, they're, they're unreliable really. However, this is very key. When, when the 490 year period begins, that's not really what's important. What is important to understand is what happens at the end of the 69 sevens or the 483 years and what happens during the final seven year period because that's just ahead of us. You and I will live through that, right? So the prophecy is given in three segments. This is what's going to help us with the coming of the Messiah. Verse 25, Daniel 9, 25 explains that the prophecy is given in three segments. Um, so it's the, the first one is seven Sevens, or remember, there's seven year segments, so it's going to be a 49 year segment. Then there's going to be a 434 year segment, and or a 62 sevens. And then Daniel 9:27 says that there will be a final seven or a final seven year period. So the prophecy is given in three segments, and it totals 490 years. So there's 49 years, 434 years, and seven years. Well, then we come to the revealing of the Messiah. Daniel 9.26 tells us that um, the 434-year segment will end with two major events. The Bible says, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one, the Messiah, will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler uh, who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. So the passage states that the anointed one, the Messiah, will be cut off at the end of the 69th seven. And then it says, after the Messiah is cut off, the temple and the city of Jerusalem will be destroyed. You say, wait, 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 hold on. I'm getting it. We know when Jerusalem was destroyed, right? 
it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. The prophecy specifically says that the Messiah would come and be cut off before Jerusalem was destroyed. So we know that the Messiah had to come before 70 AD. You're getting it. So did a, did a messianic figure appear that all of the other all of the other messianic prophecies he fulfilled in great detail, right? So, who was this messianic figure? Jesus. Did a figure appear in the world shortly before Jerusalem was destroyed? Absolutely. Jesus actually prophesied in Matthew 24. He told the disciples, see the, see the temple? They were showing him the buildings of the temple. And he said, hey guys, I just got to tell you this. That's fixing to be torn down. Not one stone's going to be left on another. And that's, that's in Matthew 24. Go read it right there. Matthew 24, verse 1 and 2. And so he prophesied this. He, the messianic figure that fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies was there looking them in the eyeball, telling them what was about to happen. So yes, Jesus did in fact come and fulfill every single one of those prophecies about the first coming of the Messiah. Was Jesus cut off? Like the prophecy said, absolutely. Being crucified would certainly qualify for being cut off, right? This gives us absolute proof that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. Now, is Daniel 9, 24 through 27 a prophecy that you should understand? Absolutely. It's very important because it helps you prove the validity of the Bible in so many ways. When you can walk people through these prophecies, the, the, the messianic prophecies about Jesus, he was the Messiah. So his life, his birth, his life, his teachings, his death, burial and resurrection pretty important, right? Some people, they, they're going to go through the Christmas season and they're not even going to think about this. You understand they're worried about what they're going to get for Christmas and the decoration of the tree, decorating the house and what's going to for dinner. I mean, that's what a lot of people will go through this whole season here and not even think about all this wonderful prophecy and scripture and the Bible and Jesus and the Messiah our creator manifest in a fleshly form, dying for us on Calvary. They're not even going to think about this stuff. Hence the reason for my program today, to focus you back in on what we're really doing here. You understand without this messianic figure being born in Bethlehem. You, so I will tell you something. The last article that Irvin Baxter wrote was about Jesus and that he was, the title of the article was Born to Die. That was the last article that my father-in-law, Irvin Baxter, wrote. It was called Born to Die. He had written a Christmas article kind of pertaining to prophecy and things for years. But the last article he wrote about Jesus was that Jesus was born to die and how that affects you and me. Because he was born, gave us all of his wonderful teachings and preachings about the gospel, the kingdom of God, and how we should live our lives, and the Beatitudes, and just the, the, the most masterful teacher to ever live beyond anything we could even fathom. But he was born to die for you and me. You understand? That's why Jesus came. So when our family celebrates 
Christmas, it's so much more for us than presents and what we eat and Christmas trees and the hustle and bustle Christmas songs and all these other things. It is about our Savior 2,000 years ago coming and being born, laid in a manger, born in a stable, laid in a manger. The shepherds coming in and saying, hey, some angels just told us to come here and worship an infant swaddled in clothing. And this is why we're here. We really don't understand what's going on. But when an angel shows up, you do what they say, right? So they did that. And things were happening and it was totally miraculous and prophetic. But yet he knew on his mind before he came that he came to die for you and me. And so Christmas to me is so much more than just the birth. Yes, it is the birth. We do celebrate that. But if you remember back my father-in-law's article, what does, what does Christmas mean to me? He wrote another one. What does Christmas mean to me? It's that Jesus Christ did come to die for us. And purchasing a plan of salvation for you and me called being born again. When the religious ruler in Israel, Nicodemus, came to him and Jesus told him, Nicodemus, I'm just going to cut to the chase here. We don't have a lot of time. You and I are talking. You came to me at nighttime so you wouldn't be recognized. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You can't enter or see the kingdom of God. Now, he's talking to a religious leader in Israel at this point. He said, Nicodemus, you can't enter or, enter or see the kingdom of God except you've been born again. And it was like cold water in Nicodemus's face. He was a religious ruler. But yet Jesus said, you're not going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Marvel not that I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, what was he doing? The born again plan of salvation in the book of Acts was not given yet. But he knew it was coming. Why? Because he was going to die. He was going to purchase that plan of salvation. Jesus Christ knew when he was confounding the doctors and the lawyers at 12 years old, he was going to die to purchase a plan of salvation for Dave Robbins even. 2,000 years in the future. You understand, he was God manifest in the flesh. He came to die for you and I. And so when you celebrate, when you're sitting across the Christmas table eating dinner, which is a, a wonderful time. And you're talking to your family. You're having conversation. What you might do this year is bring up some of the prophetic perspectives of Jesus and what he did for you 2,000 years ago. I know a lot of times we celebrate, we'll celebrate the, the birth of Jesus on Christmas and then the resurrection on Easter and these holidays and things people have made up. But really, we should celebrate the messianic prophecies about the coming Messiah, the birth, the life and teachings, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ every day. Here at End Time Ministries, we have daily prayer, eight to nine, prayer and devotions. Every day, I will thank the Lord for the act of Calvary, for his birth, for his life. Because without that, there would be no salvation, you understand? The Bible says the, no flesh was justified by the blood of bulls and goats. A sinless lamb had to come and die to break the law of sin and death. When Adam and Eve sinned, the law of sin and death entered into the human race. 
The, the law of sin and death is simply this. The soul that sins, it has to die. Well, the Bible says we're all born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Everybody has sinned. You're born into that nature, a sinful nature. But Jesus Christ came. He never did. He never committed one sin, but yet he was put to death. He tricked Satan into killing him. And when that happened, he broke the law of sin and death. The Bible says if the princes of this world would have known who Jesus really was, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. So they didn't really know who he, who he really was. But they put him to death. And when they did, he broke the law of sin and death for you and me. So, you know what? I don't have to die spiritually. I'm going to live forever. It, it, even if I go by way of the grave, my father-in-law, he's going to live forever. He's just sleeping right now. He's going to live forever. He's, there's a promise. Why? He was born again. So when we had his funeral, yes, we were mourning and grieving and crying, but it was also a celebration. My father-in-law, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I want to get to where he's at someday. Now, we've got a little bit of work to do between now and then. But I just wanted to kind of refocus us back in on what really happened 2,000 years ago. Because we really should be celebrating that every day. So when you think about Christmas, I know it's a couple days away. It's not just about Santa Claus and reindeer and Christmas movies and all this other stuff. The commercialized part of it. Think about what this infant that was born in a stable, laid in a manger, what he was born for, the purpose, the reason he was born to die. The Old Testament prophets prophesied that this messianic figure would die. So that's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. And I want to remember that a couple days from now because it's very, very important. He purchased a plan of salvation so you and I could spend eternity with him. And I don't ever want to forget that. And that's what Christmas really means to me. And I hope it does you as well. God bless. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463, or visit us online at endtime.com. 